Hundreds of U.S. schools now under the control of one Chinese company. Its chairman, allegedly a member of the Chinese Communist Party. This is a battle for your values and your children's lives. Rounds of new action making their way through Congress. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are pushing through one legislation after another with a goal in mind, countering the CCP's influence. An alleged million-dollar bribe to China, revealed in testimony for Sam Bankman-Fried's fraud trial. An ex-executive saying the sum sought to help recover a billion dollars in frozen company capital. And an expert weighing on the UK's decision to invite China to an AI summit. Having a, a conference on how to protect chickens and, and inviting a fox. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Don Ma, in for Tiffany Meyer today. A foreign hand reaching deeper into the U.S. education system. A Chinese company called Primevera has been buying American schools and education service companies. From test prep company Princeton Review to Tutor.com to a network of over 200 schools across the U.S. Sitting on top of the pyramid is Primevera's chairman, Fred Hu. Financial Times says he's a member of the Chinese Communist Party, whose company denies the membership. Americans need to be 100% concerned about a foreign entity uh, buying up schools and influencing our children and our society. It's very serious. Before we zoom into Fred Hu's background, a closer look at what's under his company's control. Princeton Review is known for its private test prep courses and SAT guidebooks. Tutor.com, a tutoring company, has contracts with the U.S. military. It serves military members for free. Fred Hu's company also controls Spring Education Group, which runs over 200 private schools across the U.S. and Asia. But its Chinese ownership has sparked controversies. In New York, Spring Education controls a network of private schools called Basis Independent Schools. In 2019, over 190 parents signed a letter sent to the school's leadership expressing concerns about Chinese ownership. Spring Education also hit a roadblock in Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis suspended scholarships to four schools controlled by the company. That's over alleged ties to the Chinese Communist Party. In a statement, DeSantis said the Chinese Communist Party is not welcome in the state of Florida, adding Florida will not put up with any attempt to influence students with a communist ideology or allow Floridians tax dollars to go to schools that are connected to our foreign adversaries. Casey Fleming, CEO of Black Ops Partners, sends parents a word of caution. Children are extremely uh, moldable, malleable, right? And when you get children to set their values early on, then those values are very difficult to change. So what we're talking about is your family values are being overwritten and overruled in the schools, the tutoring programs, and so on. So you have to understand this is a battle for your values and your children's lives. Back to Fred Hu, chairman of the Chinese company Primavera, who advises Harvard and Columbia University and used to lead the greater China region at Goldman Sachs. Back in China, he lectured at a Communist Party school and advised Chinese authorities. Hu is also a member of the CPPCC of Hunan province, a political advisory body. We can't buy anything in China. Why do we allow the Chinese Communist Party underscore communist to buy land, schools, 
educational platforms, hospitals, so on. Write your congressman. This is squarely on your shoulders and in your living room. NTD reached out to Primavera and Spring Education Group for comment, but did not hear back before airtime. A string of bipartisan actions against China coming from U.S. officials. First, a rare green agenda backed by Republicans. The Senate GOP is leading a first-time proposal linking climate policies to trade, called the Foreign Pollution Fee Act. It would impose import fees on high-carbon-emitting countries, particularly China, specifically to make the communist regime compensate for not enforcing environmental regulations. Speaking of defense, legislation targeting national security is also on the table. The Protect Our Bases Act allows the Foreign Investment Committee to review foreign land purchases near U.S. military bases. Experts say China has been buying American land with the goal of damaging critical U.S. infrastructure. Zooming on the world's smallest technology, lawmakers are seeking answers from the Biden administration on how they plan to deal with China's use of open chip design. RISC-V technology can be leveraged as a crucial component in products ranging from smartphones to advanced AI processors. The concern here is that Beijing might use the design to achieve dominance over Washington, putting U.S. national security on the line. And look up, views of Chinese drones could disappear from U.S. skies under the newly proposed American Security Drone Act. Government or private entities would be barred from using federal funding to buy drones made by China, owned or affiliated companies. Aside from public funds, watch out for your own wallet, too. Everyday spending on things like groceries, security cameras, and even seafood might be funding the CCP's human rights abuses without your knowledge. Retail giant Costco is facing scrutiny from the Congressional Executive Commission on China. That's for selling products allegedly tied to the regime's forced labor and surveillance in the Xinjiang region. Other than legislation, lawmakers agreed that federal funding should not benefit China. In a 61 to 36 vote, the Senate approved an amendment to that package that would stop the use of funds that benefit China-based entities or their subsidiaries. And lastly, South Africa, the nation's garment industry, is hanging by a thread. That's as the U.S. Congress still deciding whether to renew a trade initiative set to expire by 2025. The African Growth and Opportunity Act has received bipartisan support since the beginning. Lawmakers say it's critical to countering China's influence in Africa. Indo-Pacific countries are finding themselves stuck between China and the United States. But U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says they shouldn't have to choose sides. In a speech ahead of this month's APEC summit, Yellen sought to reassure Asian countries that Washington is trying to avoid dividing the global economy. Here's what she said. The United States does not seek to decouple from China. A full separation of our economies or an approach in which countries, including those in the Indo-Pacific, are forced to take sides, would have significant negative global repercussions. We have no interest in such a divided world and its disastrous effects. Yellen said that fully decoupling from China's economy isn't practical. 
She talked about the complexity of Asian supply chains and the region's deep economic ties to China. Yellen said the U.S. is instead seeking to diversify from China by investing in manufacturing at home and by boosting ties with allies around the world, including others in the Indo-Pacific. Her comments came amid concerns over geopolitical tensions between the world's two largest economies. Those disagreements have led to growing controls on export and national security technologies. More aggressive moves from Beijing in international airspace. Canada's defense minister says a Chinese military airplane fired flares at Canadian pilots last Sunday. That's while they were flying over international waters in the South China Sea. He called Beijing's move reckless and said it risked downing the aircraft. The incident marks the second of its kind in just two weeks. Take a look at this clip showing Chinese fighter jet getting less than 10 feet from a U.S. Air Force B-52 bomber last Tuesday. The U.S. military warned the plane used uncontrolled excessive speed flying below and in front of the B-52 and nearly caused a collision. Four weeks on trial, naming Sam and Bankman Freed guilty of stealing billions of dollars Thursday. But reports say there's more to the case than fraud and money laundering, and it's tied to China. Beckman Fried is the founder and CEO of cryptocurrency exchange FTX and linked crypto trading company Alameda Research. According to testimony from ex-Alameda CEO Caroline Ellison, Beckman Fried allegedly directed staff to deliver a bribe, quote, in the ballpark of $100 million to Chinese state officials. It happened in 2021 to grease the wheels for the return of a billion dollars in Alameda trading funds. Beijing had frozen the cash months prior as part of a money laundering investigation. Ellison said the funds made up a substantial amount of the company's trading capital at the time. After the freeze, a team was put together to recover it, including Ellison and two staff members with, quote, connections to China. The bribe came after several failed attempts to get the money back. Some staff members reportedly objected to the idea, but were told to stay quiet. Ellison testified that the company did quietly recover the funds after nearly a year. Beckman Fried did not face bribery charges during the trial. He now faces up to 110 years in prison for stealing from FTX customers and defrauding Alameda lenders. His sentence hearing is set for March next year. While world leaders gather in the UK to talk cooperation on artificial intelligence safety this week, the world's number two AI superpower isn't signing on to a deal to regulate the tech. First, a closer look at what risks AI actually carries. We feel very privileged, we're excited to have you. Elon Musk said artificial intelligence or AI was the most disruptive force in history in a conversation with UK Prime Minister Riki Sunak. On, on balance, I think that, that the AI will be a, a force for good, most likely, but the probability of it going bad is not 0%. Yeah. So we, we just need to mitigate the downside potential. Musk and Sunak agreed on the possible need for physical off switches to prevent robots from running out of control in a dangerous way, making reference to the Terminator film franchise and other science fiction films. The billionaire added that it's important China plays its role in making sure the technology doesn't get out of hand. The Chinese regime is known for being lax on safety standards and not following international regulation. 
The conversation ended the two-day Artificial Intelligence Safety Summit at Bletchery Park. Countries and tech companies reached agreement on testing new AI models before they are released. But China didn't sign the agreement as its representatives were not included in the second day of talks. From spying allegations to a web of AI surveillance against the Uyghur ethnic minority, what's so dangerous about Beijing's use of AI tools? And should China join the U.S. and U.K. on regulating them? NTD's U.K. correspondent Jane Werrell sat down with Benedict Rogers, CEO of Hong Kong Watch and deputy chair of the Conservative Party Human Rights Commission for details. Hi, Benedict Rogers. It's good to speak with you. The UK just had the AI Safety Summit and China was invited despite criticism from former Prime Minister Liz Truss and Sir Ian Duncan Smith. Uh, was it a good decision? I don't think it was a good decision. I mean, I think it's it's a bit like having a, a conference on how to protect chickens and, and inviting a fox uh, to, to be a keynote speaker at that conference. It's, um, you know, China is uh, one of the... Uh, greatest users of artificial intelligence in a in a malign uh, negative way um uh, using it for repression um and for surveillance and and uh, to facilitate human rights violations so uh, i can understand of course you can't shut china out of the conversation completely but what i think the government should probably have done is not invited them actually to the conference but then had a separate dialogue with them and been more cautious about uh what information and ideas we share with them, because I presume by attending the conference, they're, they're then aware of uh, everything that we and other countries are, are planning to do on, on AI, which I don't think is a, a very sensible approach. And what do you think about the Bletchley Declaration? So that was agreed on by countries, including China and the US, to work together on the threats posed by AI. Well, it's um, on the face of it, it's a, a perfectly good declaration, but it's rather extraordinary that China is a, a signatory to it, um, particularly when it talks about uh, use of AI to um, to improve uh, and enhance human rights. Um, you know, China is using AI for exactly the opposite purpose to to violate and suppress human rights. So, um, it 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 uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a Perfectly acceptable declaration, um, but it is odd uh, that that China is is a signatory to it. Brilliant. Well, Benedict Rogers, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Coming up, shifting tides of power in the Pacific, a high stakes showdown for influence between two superpowers, the United States and China. One hotspot is the Solomon Islands, where the growing ties with Beijing have raised eyebrows. Just how extensive is China's reach in this region? We sat down with Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent for the Epoch Times for Insight. Stay with us for a full conversation after the break here on China In Focus. Coming up, shifting tides of power in the Pacific, a high-stakes showdown for influence between two superpowers, the United States and China. One hotspot is the Solomon Islands, where the growing ties with Beijing have raised eyebrows. 
Just how extensive is China's reach in this region? We sat down with Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent for the Epoch Times for Insight. Stay with us for a full conversation after the break here on China in Focus. Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Tiffany. There's a battle for influence there in terms of the Pacific Islands between China and the U.S. What is the importance of these islands to the U.S.? In the event of conflict or even when trying to deter conflict with China, uh, the United States' ability to project power against China will fundamentally be reliant on uh, regional allies uh, in the Pacific Islands, uh, across the whole Indo-Pacific, really, stretching from Australia and India to Japan uh, and everything in between. So these are really of immense importance to the United States' ability to be able to just move freely throughout the region. And speaking of that, the Solomon Islands has been making waves with their growing ties with Beijing and given their proximity to Australia. You actually have a piece out on this. Tell us how deep China's infiltration is on those islands. It's deep. Uh, You know, I I did just indeed speak to uh, a minister of parliament from the Solomon Islands, Peter Kinaloria, whose uh, father was previously prime minister. He himself serves as uh, the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee there. And, uh, you, you know, it's it's pretty bad uh, to hear it from him. Uh, the influence has spread beyond just, uh, you know, loans and things like this and contracts for vital infrastructure, uh, particularly 5G infrastructure, is now spreading into the culture. So China has actively sent uh, workers for many years now to essentially have Chinese workers build the Chinese infrastructure in the Solomon Islands and then... Uh, also marry into the local population. And so over the course of just a very short period of years, uh, we've seen an immense shift in public opinion towards being fairly negative towards communist China, uh, towards being more positive and more anti-US. And that's one of the things they're dealing with now is kind of this battle of hearts and minds is is the phrase he used uh, to try to caution people against uh, gifts from the Chinese Communist Party, as it were. And now in terms of some good news, a different island, Kiribati, is actually swinging back in favor of the West. They're also leaving China's Belt and Road Initiative. Now, last week, the U.S. and Australia announced that they'd help rebuild a wharf there. What is Kiribati's importance to the U.S.? Yeah, so Kiribati is an interesting situation. Uh, it, it's historically, you know, we've had on-again, off-again ties, uh, as did China. China recently looked like there was going to be a warming there in 2019, around the same time they pushed into the Solomon Islands. Uh, but now I think Kiribati's turn away from Beijing, uh, it's not as firm as we would like, but it, it's beginning to turn away from Beijing, as many nations throughout the world do kind of shun the Belt and Road Initiative, having realized that China doesn't really have the money it says it has to invest freely. It also has a lot of strings attached in terms of wanting security agreements with the nations it does business with, you know, the ability to station security troops there, which we now know from ports like those in Greece and uh, elsewhere, that those are actually actively used by the regime throughout the world to collect intelligence. Uh, So I think it's just uh, been, in the last few years, a real awakening to just how pervasive uh, the threat from the Chinese Communist Party is and how they use even just the smallest presence in a a nation like Kiribati to really uh, 
negatively impact the local population to their own benefit. Mm. It seems part of the greater concern here is not just an invasion of Taiwan but by Beijing, but the influence or presence of China getting closer to the continental U.S. How do you see these island nations playing out in that kind of battle of influence? Yeah, so I think right now we, we have to really struggle to not simply view the islands as a point of influence between the United States and China. And this is why I talked to uh, Mr. Kinalori about uh, uh, quite a bit off the record, uh, both on and off the record, is just this idea that these smaller nations have a lot to gain from both China and the United States in terms of the economy. And both the United States and China very much want to be able to leverage their alliances and want to be able to leverage uh, the geography of those locations to their advantage in competition with one another. But if the United States is going to have a lasting presence and a lasting relationship with these nations, we need to push beyond just viewing them as sort of a uh, means to an end with our competition with China and really try to invest in them uh, the way that they want to be invested in. I think that's one of the silver linings of this mammoth uh, national security supplemental we've seen for the Biden administration, right, is that it offers $2 billion uh, to create new lending programs uh, internationally that would essentially give alternatives to these smaller nations like Kiribati uh, so they don't have to borrow from these incredibly predatory lending schemes from China. And so I, I think that's, some, that's an area where we could do better, uh, but we are definitely trying to make strides there. And how much of that comes down to diplomacy in terms of dealing with the people of these nations? A lot of it. You know, I think if, if there's any critique we might have the United States approach thus far, it's that it's been incredibly heavy on the military uh, side. And the fact is we need a lot more diplomacy, a lot more intelligence sharing, perhaps a lot more economic cooperation. You know, these, these nations are going to be won over in the long term by the system that they feel they'll be best represented by and treated most fairly by. Uh, right now, we're seeing the U.S. gain the upper hand because they're seeing that China is promoting an unfair system. They're promoting debt trap diplomacy. They're you know, promoting these underhanded means of getting security agreements uh, into various contracts. The United States just needs to show up and allow these countries to behave the way that they want to behave within the norms and rules of the international order. And I think that'll win the day. Andrew Thornburg, exactly. thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Tiffany. Great to be here. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Don Ma. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you would like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend.